0: welcome to ashley on your one-stop podcast where we talk about health and wellness spirituality and all things new stick around as we delve deep into innovations to support a better world
1: hello everyone today's episode is with melissa nelson from south bend industrial hemp and melissa is a pioneer in the industry she's farming and now she's created uh, along with her partners um, the first and largest uh, hemp processing facility in the midwest in the united states and hemp processing is really important because if you've read about or talked or heard about um, the effort of using hemp for plastics or papers Um, then you know that there's something has to happen between the farmer growing it and the manufacturer creating the new product that is more sustainable. And that thing that has to happen is the hemp has to be processed. And that means the fiber has to be stripped into both the herd and the bast fiber components. And those have to be refined in a manner that can meet manufacturing standards. And that right there is the big holdup um, that's really keeping hemp from becoming um, a really revolutionary uh, sustainable option in the packaging industry is the lack of processing facilities like what Melissa has built. And so this is a really interesting episode. Um, Just kind of build off of that. Some of you may not understand that hemp, actually every uh, ton of hemp uh, fiber it removes about 1.6 tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. So you're talking about a major impact, uh, something that's carbon negative and something that can really clean up our world um, if there's enough uh, processing facilities out there that can be established like what Melissa has done in order to enable this industry to go forward. So I hope you enjoy the show. It's really exciting to talk to Melissa Nelson from South Bend Industrial Hemp. Have a great day. Hey guys, as always, this episode is brought to you by Packed With Life Tea. You know, I always talk about how much I love iced tea and Packed With Life tastes fantastic. And I don't add any sweetener or anything like that. Just great tasting iced tea packed with organic adaptogens, including the four key mushrooms, lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi. Of course, it tastes great as hot tea as well, if that's your thing. Um, And some people like to add a little bit of honey. But either way, no matter how you like your tea, you're going to love this tea. And it will boost your immune system, brain, lungs, and gut. That's why it's Packed With Life. So get yours today at packedwithlife.com. Have a great day. Here we are. Yeah, no problem. Great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time, Melissa. Um, I just like to usually dive into these things, you know, and then if if that's okay with you, we kind of get to know each other as we go. Um, Melissa Nelson is the uh, owner of South Bend um, Industrial Hemp, right, out of Great Bend, Kansas. Is that correct? Co-owner, but yes. co-owner. Well, um, how and why? Right into the hemp business. Let's just go right there first. Uh, it's it's fantastic what you're doing. Um, we'll obviously get into you know the the benefits of, of hemp to society and, and industry and all of that. I'm sure. Um, but you know, from a more personal standpoint, you know, what's uh, what was the motivating factor for you guys?
0: Yeah. So it actually started in 2019. Uh, we were looking for a way to diversify our farm. And I guess, let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, South Bend is composed of myself and I'm a crop research scientist. My husband, who's a fourth generation farmer here in Great Bend and his brother, um, who's also a fourth generation farm at Circle K Farms. And so they were looking for a way to diversify the farm. Um, I'm always looking for ways to diversify my uh, independent research company uh, and the clients that I work with. And so we decided to pursue the hemp route. In 2019, CBD was the hot market. So we put in um, 1,500 CBD plants. But our focus and goal has always been to expand the fiber and grain side of things. Uh, back in 2019, to give you scale, in terms of scale, um, CBD was a $2.2 billion industry. Uh, fiber and grain was a $200 million. So we decided to put... 80 acres of dry land hemp, and we just wanted to learn more about it, how to grow it, what it needed, what insects we're going to see, et cetera. So as the season progressed, um, like everybody else, we got left with our CBD plants, um, you know, holding the bag, essentially. And so I was doing a lot of education and public speaking just on the importance of hemp and how it can be a positive impact to the community, et cetera. And people were asking me, what, why, like, where can I find good products, et cetera? We want to try it. And I just was really having a hard time giving good products that I trusted. So we launched our CBD line and became uh, fully integrated on the CBD side minus extraction, which another Kansas company does. So back to fiber and grain, we didn't have a, a successful year on that 80 acres of dry land in terms of tonnage produced, but we did learn a lot. Roll that into 2020, we had 1,500 acres again. We put 55 acres of fiber grain hemp underneath the pivot, and it just was, we, uh, we utilized all the education that we learned the year before on what not to do. Uh, our plants were 12 to 14 feet. Um, we launched our annual open house. We were doing a lot of public speaking and just basic education about hemp tours, uh, et cetera well uh 2020 and 2020 rolled around and 30 days before harvest i called our processing facility that was going to take our fiber bales cuz we had a contract and the guy said i forgot to call you uh i lost my funding i have no fiber processing facility and i'm like how long have you been sitting on this like how long did you what time so we started running the numbers you know because we had farmers watching us and saying man if we had a place to take this we would and i had manufacturers calling me saying where are you taking this because we can't find processors to get it to the specs we need and so we saw a the demand there and a need mm-hmm. so we started running the numbers for a processing facility we started looking at decorticators, um which led us to monavista vista colorado for formation ag that evolved into 2021 um where we contracted over a thousand acres throughout the midwest very active on the public education front um just advocating for the crop as a whole we put we downsized our cbd grow just because the like i said that that's not our true love and passion so we did about 250 plants on our cbd grow this year and then expanded our fiber and grain to 160 acres and then contracted the rest with our growers group. We've got farmers, um, we wanna help farmers get in at a level they feel comfortable. So we we started this group and we basically supply the genetics to them, give them a blueprint of how to utilize the equipment they already have on their farm to be successful. And then we buy their fiber crop at the end of the year. So that's the short story of how we ended up where we are.
1: So you give them the seed yeah. at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, amazing, um, amazing journey. And um, you know, it sounds like we all have similar experiences in terms of, of the ups and downs of the CBD market. Right. <laughs> it's just um, just been one of those roller coaster rides. But hopefully, you know, the you know, the complexity that comes with that is, you know, the regulatory um, side of things and, and um, all of that. Right. On top of, um, you know, trying to grow the uh, productive crop. So it makes sense, you know, to me in terms of why you would make that decision. What are you seeing from a from a, a manufacturer demand? You see, you mentioned you have manufacturers calling you. I mean, it seems like they should be very, very uh, interested in this, but uh, you know, it's obviously a limited. There's limited supply, and and I'm just wondering what what how you're running into that and how you're dealing with those with that reality.
0: Um you know, we are experiencing a lot of the same challenges that other industries are experiencing in terms of workforce, et cetera, but the crew that we do have is very, very good. Um, I wish we could get our facility to running 24 uh, seven. I wish we could have three shifts. Right now we've got two um, and I'm hoping by, you know, beginning our first quarter next year, next year, we're, we're in that three shifts because the demand is there. Um, in terms of meeting the limited supply, we're creating a network across the Midwest and really across the United States, but specifically the Midwest to help meet some of these volume demands that and requests that we're getting and just figuring it out, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. So incredible. Um, what you mentioned earlier, you know, that you went through some learning phases um, obviously that's, you know, going to be a big deal for everybody and, and the learning in the Midwest is going to be applicable to the learning in the North and the South, but slightly different as well. Right. Um, what have you learned about that just in the geographical differences, um, for certain hemp strains or varieties that you may be working with?
0: I mean, seed selection is extremely critical. Um, we're working with a group of farmers down in Texas, trying to find the best variety for their, their area. Uh, the North seems to have a pretty good idea of what's going to be successful up there, but it's the South that's currently kind of struggling. Um, they just have some different factors that they, the rest of the country doesn't have to deal with. Um, we are putting in, uh, I'm part of a group, we're putting in a multi-state study uh, for variety validation because we're getting a lot of these, we know things work somewhere, but we really need to have an established protocol um, and publish those results in a, a more scientific matter so we can get, get some more validity within the industry.
1: Right. What about on the harvesting side? I mean, you mentioned using, uh, the equipment that's available to the farmers. What kind of walk us through our, our audience through what, um, what that means.
0: Yeah, so um, when we harvest for grain, we pull out the same case IH combine that we use for our wheat or our soybeans, same head, we have a 40 foot draper head flex head um, with a reel so it just pulls that hemp in at the grain so you raise it all the way up and you pull that grain in Um, goes through the same set of sieves everything um, very similar to a, a Milo grain when you're harvesting. Um, if you're harvesting for fiber, you can use a side sickle, um, or you can use any hay implement that's currently out on the market. And then we just use the same balers that we use for all our other hay production uh, here in Kansas. And so it's it's pretty. The process is pretty simple in turn, but the execution does provide a little bit of challenges. Just because hemp does wrap, you do need to pay attention. Redding is extremely important for our processing method. Um, so understanding what your processor wants uh, prior to harvest is very critical.
1: So the grain, the grain process is pretty simple. You're saying it's, it's the, then coming back through uh, and getting the fiber redded to the proper levels is where the challenges lie mostly?
0: Uh, there's challenges with the, within grain as well. Uh, you do need to dry it down uh, because this is such a high oil content You cannot leave it sit for very long without it going rancid. You also need to make sure that when you're drying it, you're drying it without heat units because then you're going to degrade the quality of the seed and the oil. So just air movement, very, very important.
1: Interesting. Um, Is that something that requires, I mean, do the farmers have to do that or do you do that once they bring the grain to you or how's that work?
0: It really needs to be done on site within six hours of it coming out of the field. You need to have air on this. So if you're that close, great. We do have drying capabilities on our farm. Uh can help with that. But right now uh, not very many farmers are close enough that they can justify hauling from the field to us.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. I've heard people somewhere along the lines. just um, It's coming to me now that there's some folks working on mobile dryers or, or have you heard about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty standard for other ind- grain industries as well.
1: Right. Okay. What about in the redding process after, you know, after that, what are the key things that are, that are critical for that the farmers need to be able to work through there?
0: Um, you know, if they have any hay experience, they will be just fine at the redding experience. Um, you're just going to lay it down. Uh, you'll rake it, flip it. Um, and then, Understanding what redding means. And if you're not getting that due cycle to naturally uh, start the redding process and break and allow those microbes to break down that pectin, uh, we have the capabilities to run a sprinkler over our product to to initiate that, but not everybody does. And so that's why when someone says, you know, how long will it take to red, well, it really depends on your weather cycle and where you're at. So, we have a ton of educational videos um, on our Facebook page, explaining reading and like understanding how it works. And I would say videos are the best option or giving us a call.
1: Right. What um, no, that's, that's excellent insight. Just right there. I mean, I'm sure you guys building within your network, the idea is to share, um, share this knowledge, right. And, and to continue to build an educational bank so that people can, develop more of this, I would assume.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we want 4,000 acres in the ground next year. We need we need to really ramp this up in the U.S. to be economically viable with other industries. I mean, right now, it's the novelty of going green, sustainability, region, ag, etc. But at the end of the day, the consumers drive the market. And so if you can't be cost competitive with products that they're already using, then it doesn't matter how cool your product is. You, you won't see it take off like you want it to, in my opinion.
1: No, I agree. I, you know, it's um, one of my mentors used to say and he would refer to this as being a parlor trick until you can reach scalability. It's a parlor trick. Right. And so um, nobody really wants that. <laughs>
0: us like I would love to have hemp t-shirts for our processing facility you know for our brand but nobody wants to pay $35 for a t-shirt you know even yeah. if it's hemp and so again it's a cost competitive thing
1: yeah exactly you just kind of building off what you said you want 4,000 acres in the in the ground next year and I know this all varies by variety and location and all that kind of stuff but what kind of yields are you hoping to get out of that in terms of grain and, and then fiber and herd
0: that's very very specific to the area that they're in it depends on if it's irrigated or if it's dry land um so i don't really want to put that all on a broad question got it because
1: really- you've got kind of ideal scenarios there where you're where you're growing right because you've got it under uh the pivot
0: well, it just eliminates one factor that Mother Nature has. Uh, that's a big one, though. <laughs> you know, because water timing is very critical. Um, so that's why we put it under the pivot because it is it is enough of a high acre, but we all are a high value crop. We also put it on dry land because when you are looking at acres and what you're competing against, at the end of the day, it's all about ROI. You know, what did you get back on your acre? at the end because farmers don't not that they don't care but they have to pay their bills they have to pay their bills and so if you can go after those wheat dryland wheat or dryland milo acres which aren't very popular here in kansas in terms of likability i mean we grow them but they're not super high yielding particularly the wheat um this year wheat prices are up but so are inputs so maybe it's more cost effective for the farmer to put in hemp because it's a lower input crop crop, uh, and it'll give him the same ROI for his acres. So you really need to think about the acres that you're competing against in your area and what you're trying to target.
1: That's good. And someone shared with me the other day um, on that same line of thinking that they're trying to build models that deliver to the farmer the same um, net profit as, as say, corn which would mm-hmm. be the highest, you know, the highest, uh, possible. Is that, is that what you guys are looking at too? Similarly, or how do you, how do you kind of give the farmer context, uh, for what you're going to pay them?
0: Yeah. So I actually, we, we send out contracts to all our farmers. It's very black and white. Um, I've built it off of similar to like a co-op contract, uh, that we have to abide by for our grain contracts because I want to give that farmer the peace of mind and come hell or high water, we're paying our farmers. You know, um, yeah. we- the farmers are taken care of. So we offer contracts in that sense. Um, And then I have a spreadsheet built and it basically has every possible input cost that they could have throughout the season. Uh, And then it's got our current year prices for what we can offer in terms of contracts. And then, you know, it it calculates the Excel document, calculates your profit, potential profit per acre. And it's, it's very black and white.
1: That's awesome. Very smart. Um, transparency wins, right? I mean, these guys have been burned on the CBD. Some of them anyway, have been burned on the CBD front.
0: We think it's critical for the success. Treat it like any other crop, same language, same contracts, same transparency that you get with any other crop is going to help us be successful. And that's how we've approached it.
1: Right. Um, Okay. Backtracking a little bit. One of the things you mentioned earlier was uh, the formation ag group, And, um, the decorticating units that you guys have worked out, you know, that's really been a pain point in the industry. And I know a lot of people have tried different types of decorticating systems and failed. And, you know, there's been a kind of a scorched earth, um, in a lot of ways around that whole process and, um, you know, whatever you can share from insights, you know, with our audience, I think they'd be interested to kind of learn what you guys did and how you figured it out.
0: <laughs> well, who says we got to figure it out? No, I'm just.
1: Well, to, to this point, right? It's always continuing yeah. to be improved, we're, but clearly, but.
0: Always evolving. And it's crazy because, you know, all of our growers grow the same variety, similar growing uh, techniques, et cetera, because we want consistency coming through our facility, particularly for our manufacturers. Um, our model is built off of a network of smaller facilities. And the reason we believe that's a better output is because transportation is the most inefficient cost throughout this process. And so, if we can essentially bring the facility to where the acres are, same as elevator concept in a co-op, we want to cut down on that transportation cost. So while our machine may not be the biggest machine uh, compared to, oh, still there. Okay, compared. you know, the LaRoche and other, other big items like the hemp train, uh, it, it fits our model very well.
1: And are you guys going after both the long and short fiber markets? Or are you going after one or the other?
0: We have the long strand fiber with our machine. Uh, but we've found that you can always make things shorter yes' yeah. uh, so competitive in the short fiber market as well.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Are you guys, uh, is part of your network that you're building? Are you, are you working collaboratively to kind of share as you build, you know, processes across the country, bring them into that fold and share that knowledge?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a leap of faith, um, because obviously it's not, we, we think that it needs to have a local investment because we've seen this in the hemp industry time and time again, or even in the conventional crop industry, if you're a transplant and you come into this community and say, this is what I want you to do and what I want you to grow, those farmers aren't going to take you seriously. So okay. you need a connection within the farming community. And we would love to see farmers invested in their own processing facility. And that's what we've gotten on two of our facilities that we're working to get up in 2022. Their farmer ran. They don't want to mess with the manufacturing and talk to the manufacturers and all this stuff. So I'll take that. I'll do that. Here's the specs you need to hit. Let's get these orders out the door. And then that way they can focus on what they love, which is farming. They can have a crew at the fr- processing facility and I can handle all the backend work of, of the manufacturing specs.
1: Awesome. Are, are you, um, what can you share about the customers? Like what type of demand, like you, you mentioned, you're, you're going after the longer fibers, right? That would seem to indicate more uh, textile type based uh applications for your customer base or is that is that the fact or do you have a really diverse mix across both herd and fiber or how how are you seeing it right now
0: very very diverse i would say 80 percent of our customers are herd customers large-scale orders are herd customers we have a lot of fiber companies that are still in the r&d stages of things so they're buying product but it's at as much smaller scale with the potential to ramp up once they find what works within their, their facility. Uh, we are not chasing te- textile grade fiber. Uh, mm-hmm. you grow it differently. There's very little herd production. Um, it's just a whole different ball game. And we just really don't see that as our niche within the industry. You know, it may evolve to that, but right now it's, it's not where the market's at for us.
1: I see. What are the, uh, you know, we hear from a herd perspective, obviously you hear about hemp, you hear about animal bedding, um, sometimes bioplastics. What, what other types of fields are you getting or seeing demand for in the industry?
0: I mean, those are your big three, uh, that we're shipping out orders to right now. Um, hemp wood, OCB board, um, soil amendments, like it's, if you can do it with any other product, people are trying to figure out how to make it work with him.
1: Right. And I, one, of the, one of the things that's kind of like chicken or the egg, right? When is the tipping point of supply available going to be there to meet the massive demand that really seems to be there, right? I mean, is that you seeing that hold you back at all? Yeah.
0: And, and that's actually why we created this network or alliance throughout the country, because there's some contracts that I can't even entertain because I can't fulfill that volume. But if I get, if I group five people or five processors together, then we can be competitive. And so that's, that's how we're approaching
1: it. Right. Um, cool. Uh, let me see here. One. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um... One of, the th- one of the things that I've written down here was drying. You, know, you mentioned the drying for the grain. Um, are your customers asking you for further processing along the way? Like you separate the herd from fiber. Are they then asking you to, to meet certain particle size specs and then certain moisture content specs? And if so, how are you doing that that, that, uh, that you can share, obviously, but what, what's, what's that um, situation look like for you guys?
0: Oh, they're asking for all those things. Particle specs, micron levels. Um, They're even, which it's been kind of exciting. I didn't think the market would evolve to this point for another couple of years, but, you know, they're wanting cellulose content, lignin content, like all these things. So we're sending our products off to labs. And because we had the foresight to grow the same variety, you know, we're going to continue to get similar, similar results to give the manufacturers comfort that they're getting consistency from their product, but these are already getting sent out to the lab. So yes, there is very specific specifications. I think that is going to be the big thing about 2022. And I put a post out that was very well received about this, but in 2022, you're going to see a flood of subpar market or subpar product come into the market. And it's going to be for rock bottom prices. And there is a difference between grinding your fails and decorticating them there it just is and you may not visually see it but when you take it to the lab level it's very significant differences so you know it's just finding your spot in the industry finding the price point that the competition and you know the competitors and the consumers are willing to take but it's 2022 i think is going to be a very big year
1: that's great well um Thank you very much for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything I didn't ask that I should have or anything that you'd just like to share, you know, that's, you know, philosophical about what you're doing? Uh,
0: I don't know about philosophical, but (laughs) I mean, if you want to watch, I'm very transparent in what we do. Uh, Social media is like, I'm very open on there. Um, Follow our page. If you'd like, you can see what we're doing on the day-to-day operations of the farm and the processing facility. Um, and just how we're trying to grow this industry. And if you want to be a part of it as a grower or at the processing facility or thinking of putting a processing facility in your area, reach out and we can help you get off on a a good foot.
1: Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to wrap this up. Melissa, please stay on and let's chat a little bit longer, but um, let's just pause for a minute. And thank you very much, Melissa Nelson from South Bend Industrial Hemp out of Great Bend, Kansas, uh, co-owner and Industry Pioneer. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being here. Having me. Hey, guys. As always, this episode is brought to you by Packed with Life Tea. You know I always talk about how much I love iced tea, and Packed with Life tastes fantastic, and I don't add any sweetener or anything like that. Just great-tasting iced tea packed with organic adaptogens, including the four key mushrooms, lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi. Of course, it tastes great. as hot tea as well, if that's your thing. Um, And some people like to add a little bit of honey. But either way, no matter how you like your tea, you're going to love this tea and it will boost your immune system, brain, lungs, and gut. That's why it's Packed With Life. So get yours today at PackedWithLife.com. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ashley on.
0: Nothing but the truth for a better you and me.